Welcome to another week of our verse-by-verse journey through all of God's inspired Word. As you open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1, where we're going to begin, I want to walk you through my thinking of the chronology that leads to this particular letter. Now, you know that I believe that Paul was released from his uh, first Roman detention, his apartment arrest, if you will, uh, in 63, probably the summer of 63. And you also know, I believe that he very quickly headed off to the area where he was last ministering. Uh, He drops Titus off at Crete. Uh, He takes Timothy to Ephesus, probably ministers a little bit there, but he then eventually goes to places that he said he was going to visit in his letters that he wrote while he was at Rome, such as Colossae and then up at Philippi. After he finished with those parts, there's an indication in 1 Timothy that his intention was to winter at Neapolis on the west side of the Greek peninsula. And I think that he probably did that in 63 going into 64. And then, in my opinion, based on a little bit of tradition that we have out there, I think he actually did fulfill his intention of going to Spain. And so I think he took off to Spain in the early part of 64 and ministered there while Peter, whose letters we just finished, Peter came to Rome himself, replacing the presence of the Apostle Paul and wrote his two letters from there back to the area of what we call Turkey today, and very specifically, Western Turkey, where Paul had done an awful lot of his ministry. But we also know that the fire in Rome changed everything. The fire took place in the summer of 64, and uh, the persecution of Christians being scapegoated for that fire started taking place later in that same year. I believe that Peter was very quickly caught up and arrested as a ringleader of the arsonist cult. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if copies of his second letter in particular were presented during his court case to show that these Christians intended to burn the whole place down on behalf of their God. Of course, that was not anywhere in the world uh, close to the thinking of these Christians, but politically expedient for the moment. Uh, So I believe that Peter was probably executed in the very late part of 64, maybe the very early part of 65. And then the Apostle Paul, by my theory, out in Spain, hears about all of this stuff going on, all of this turmoil, all of this persecution. And I believe he made the choice in 65 to come back again to the area where he'd had so much ministry, 
back to Ephesus and Asia. That is the Roman province of Asia, which is western Turkey of today. And while he was there, he was arrested as a ringleader of this arsonist cult. Now, most of the persecution we know historically was taking place in and around Rome on the Italian peninsula. But I think that the word had gone out into centers of Roman power, such as the capital city of the Asia province, Ephesus, that if any of these apostles come under the radar of the local officials, they are to be grabbed. They are to be arrested and put on trial. And I think that's exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. I think he may have been ministering briefly at Ephesus in 50, or excuse me, 65. He made a trip, I think, up toward Troas, and that's likely where he was arrested. Then brought back to Ephesus, put on trial officially the first time, and was found guilty. And then he did what he did on the first occasion of his arrest. I think he probably appealed to Caesar, to Caesar, and was shipped off to Rome. And uh, when we read 2 Timothy, I think it is now probably uh, the uh, later part of 65, and the apostle Paul is wanting Timothy to come to him and to understand what's going on uh, with his situation, awaiting the imperial review of this most recent condemnation against him. So, with all that as the background, theorized background, uh, let's dive into the text itself. 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the promise of the life is, I think, focused on eternal life. And that's definitely going to be something on Paul's mind, as you will be able to see uh, when we're going through this letter. He is pretty certain he's not going to make it out of this one alive, that he is not much longer for this world. But that's okay with him because he's done what he was supposed to do as an apostle, and he is looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave, that uh, If you are faithful even unto death, I will give you the crown of life. Now, who is it written to? Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, Paul never married, and he never had children of his own, but he did seem to adopt some of these young preachers uh, as his sons in the faith. And so he is writing back to Timothy, who is for all practical purposes, the senior minister 
of the church at Ephesus, and perhaps even kind of the administering minister for all of the churches of Asia here right around 66, uh, 65, 66. Then we see the typical way that Paul always opens his letters. Grace and peace are the two normal ones, uh, grace being the more uh, Gentile way of opening a letter, peace being the more Jewish way of opening a letter. But notice what he slides in between them this time. Mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And I think that that, again, speaks to the heart of the Apostle Paul at this point, where he is leaning into the expectation of mercy from Jesus Christ for his past actions against the church and uh, the fulfillment of the promise of eternal life. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. Now, I always emphasize this here. Uh, because some people make Paul out to be this horrible, mean-hearted bully uh, back in his days of persecution of the church. And I don't think that's the case. I think that he really believed he was doing the right thing. And so I point to this as one of the supporting passages to that, uh, that everything that he did he did it with a clear conscience at the time. So I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So Paul's got time to think about Timothy and others like him that he's been working with all these years. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Now, I think that he's very specifically remembering that day, that moment, when the Apostle Paul is taken away from Ephesus in chains, heading for Rome as a condemned criminal. He's already been convicted as a ringleader of the Christians, as those arsonists. And uh, Timothy cried as he's watching him go. And Paul remembers that. Uh, but he, he wants to see Timothy, and he is going to be filled with joy over that thought. And then... Uh, as often happens in circumstances like this, he, he becomes a little nostalgic. He becomes a little thoughtful of the past. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. So the grandma to Timothy, Paul knows personally. And he knows that she was a woman of faith. Uh, these ladies that are mentioned here are both Jewish ladies. And they were firm believers in the scripture. 
So I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So three generations of faith in this family. Now you may remember that Timothy's father is not Jewish. His father was a Gentile, and that's about all we know. Uh, He did not um, circumcise Timothy uh, when he was an eight-day-old child. Uh, So when uh, Timothy, in his adulthood, leaves home and joins Paul's uh, traveling uh, entourage, uh, Timothy is circumcised so that Paul um, can use him in both worlds, both Jewish and Gentile. But uh, whatever Timothy's relationship with his physical father was, uh, his relationship with his physical mother and physical grandmother was the much more impactful when it came to things spiritual. They passed on to him a love of Scripture. In fact, I would suggest to you that they were probably instrumental in getting him to memorize large portions of the sacred Jewish writings, which is what prepared Timothy for being gifted as a preacher and as a um, a protege of the Apostle Paul in this beginning phase of the church of Jesus Christ. Verse number six, for this reason, that is because I remember your family heritage, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now that seems to be a reference to the time when Timothy, like his mother and his grandma, uh, made the great confession, the choice to repent of their sins and to be immersed into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to become Christians, to become believers in Yehoshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And since the Apostle Paul was right there and part of that process, he laid his apostolic hands upon Timothy to give him a supernatural gift from the Holy Spirit. Remember, we've talked about this from early on in our study in the book of Acts. The apostles of Jesus, we're talking about the the 12 apostles of the Lamb plus James the apostle to the church of Jerusalem, and Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. These special Jesus-designated men had the ability to lay their hands on people and impart the supernatural gifting of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, And when Paul laid his hands on Timothy, the Holy Spirit gave a prophecy about him. And this is mentioned in the first Timothy, uh, that uh, something happened in the presence of the elders of the church there. And so here is Paul reminding him of it. God 
specifically designated you as a special person in the church. And Timothy, you need to bring that that fire back up to full strength again. Now, why would he need to do that? Because the circumstances of the persecution that's going on against Christians at this moment, specifically against the leadership like Peter and Paul, is going to have a chilling effect. It's going to have a a tendency of, of dampening that flame. And so Paul says, you need to fan that back up again because you know what was said. You know what happened. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So he wants Timothy, don't you dare get timid now. You need to let the Holy Spirit flow through you in that supernatural fashion and fill you with that power and let it work with the love that God demonstrated through the death and the resurrection of his son. And you, Timothy, you need, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to take control of your life. Don't let fear take the upper hand. Verse number eight, therefore, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So you can see that this all fits together with the the theme of ongoing persecution at this time. Uh, With Timothy being one of the leaders now of the church at Ephesus, he's got a target on his back. Uh, No doubt uh, the uh, local haters of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be emboldened by the fact that they'd taken down the big guy, the Apostle Paul, and another big guy, the Apostle Peter, and now they're going to move their sights down onto the next tier of those that are still promoting the Christian faith, and that would be the leadership trained and put in place by the apostles Peter and Paul. And so Paul, uh, Paul tells him, don't you dare be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the testimony about his death and resurrection and ascension. And don't you dare be ashamed of me because I got arrested and convicted, and now here I am sitting in Rome, in prison, awaiting the uh, outcome of my appeal to Nero Caesar a second time. Don't you dare be ashamed of me. But instead, do this. You share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. You just stay in place and let whatever happens, happen. You just keep preaching. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. So this is a modifying phrase about God. God is the one who saves us through Jesus. He is the one who calls us to the job that we're supposed to be doing within the church. And it's not because of our own works. Uh, there's, a, there's some echoes here in Paul's 
letter to Timothy of other letters he's written, like Ephesians. It's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. See, we were created to do good works through the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit that were anticipated by God himself before the foundation of the world itself. And so we as Christians today, we need to get a hold of that and look at the stuff that we've been gifted for, that we have been called to take care of, and look at it as something God had in mind for us from eternity past, and then get it done. Verse 10, but which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. So this is a reminder again, God is outside of time. He's, he's already aware, has all, always been aware of how things are playing out. But there are certain points in history that are climactic. And so the, the appearing of Jesus Christ the first time at Bethlehem as that baby, and then at Jerusalem and throughout Galilee and all over Judea as the, the preacher of repentance, and then his appearance as the atoning sacrifice for sin, the, the Lamb of God that is taking away the sin of the world. All of that is focused on his first coming, and it was planned way ahead of time, but it becomes manifest, becomes obvious, it becomes important uh, as that, that climactic, that, that focal point in history uh, has taken place, including his resurrection and his ascension on high and the establishment of the church. Uh, continuing still in this long sentence of Paul, who abolished death and brought forth life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Jesus, with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, did away with the death of Jesus after his crucifixion. He resurrected him permanently, never to die again, and demonstrated the power of life over death. And so I think, again, has something to do with Paul starting this letter with his, his reminder that there's a promise of life that has come through Jesus Christ. And all of this is part of the gospel, the, the good news that is being preached. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher. Uh, that's somebody that yells it out, that lets people know that something big has happened. And an apostle, uh, and that's a special uh, responsibility he has, to take the information that God has given him and move it forward. Uh, and a teacher, which a lot of us are teachers, we're, we're supposed to be absorbing and digesting all this information from God with one thought in mind. We're supposed to turn it around 
and make it readily understandable and available to people that don't yet know it. And so Paul says, we've got the gospel out there, Timothy, and I've been appointed to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. So Paul understands he's in trouble, not as an arsonist or a supporter of arsonists. That's not what the Christians were all about. That's not what they did. He's in trouble because he's been preaching Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended on high, and coming again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he says, I'm okay with suffering for the real thing, the good thing. A little echo there of the Apostle Peter, isn't it? wonder if Paul had been reading Peter's mail. But I am not ashamed. A little echo there of Romans chapter 1, isn't it? But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, whom I've trusted, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So he knows he's trusted God with everything and that God is able to give him back everything that he's promised on that grand day that's coming, the day of Jesus Christ, when Jesus appears in the sky and uh, calls all his own to himself. Now, what does Paul do with all of that uh, as advice to, Pete, uh, to uh, Timothy? Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Now, the word sound here, as I've told you before in these letters, has to do with hygiene in the sense of healthiness. So, follow the pattern of the hygienic words, the healthy words, the spiritually healthy words that you've heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So he's telling Timothy, you need to stick with what I've given you. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, He just got done saying that he trusts that God will be able to um, give back to him according to uh, what he's been entrusted with. And now he tells Timothy, you need to trust God through his Holy Spirit to stick with what you've been given, do the work of an evangelist, and let the Holy Spirit hold those things in trust for your own future when you will be done and you will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's mark our place right there and come back next time we get into the Word.